You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my girlfriends and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. And today I have with me a new girlfriend, Stacy Sims. Stacy serves the diabetes community with a weekly news show, Think NPR's Fresh Air, but for people who use insulin. Her news and broadcasting background is coupled with her personal experience and passion for radio information and community. Stacy's son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes in 2006, one month before he turned two. She started blogging about her family's experience with type 1 diabetes only a few weeks later. She launched Diabetes Connections podcast in 2015 to educate and inspire about type 1 diabetes by sharing stories of connection. Her book, The World's Worst Diabetes Mom, is a memoir and guide where she shares parenting philosophy that is not perfect, but safe and happy. She spent the first 20 years of her career as a TV anchor and reporter and radio host for local news station. Stacy, thank you so much for being with me today. Hey, Joanne. It's great to be here. Thank you. Well, fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? I have a 15-year-old son, as you mentioned. He's the little guy who was diagnosed all those years ago. He's now like six feet tall and has his permit, which is ridiculous. And I have an 18-year-old daughter as well who does not have type 1 diabetes. And I've been married to my husband for 21 years. And we had our first date like 25 years ago. We were just reminiscing about that the other day. It's crazy. (laughs) And we live just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, okay. Wonderful. I lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina for a while while my dad was in residency. And I'm so fond of North Carolina. Love it here. We moved. I'm originally from New York and we moved here 20 years ago. 20 years ago. Okay. I was going to say you're obviously not a native because your voice is not accented. (laughs) And I actually am a native, but I lost my accent because we moved out early. I tried really hard to lose my New York accent, but I may slip into it here and there. We'll see. (laughs) Probably when you're tired or mad. I have a couple of rapid fire questions to get us warmed up here. What was your first job? Ice cream scooper at Baskin Robbins, the Jefferson Valley Mall. <laughs> oh my gosh. My kids are 16 and 14 and they they work at the fungus farm up the road, seriously, because we live in rural Montana, but they're both branching out. And my daughter goes, mom, I could be a super scooper at Baskin Robbins. And I was like, honey, Baskin Robbins is 30 miles away. But (laughs) it's a hard job because, you know, everything has to be exact. And some of the ice cream is really hard. Like my right arm got this big muscle. It was really funny. It it takes way too much elbow grease. I hate scooping ice cream. I always try to convince my husband that he should scoop the ice cream for me when we're at home. So I look at those scoopers and I think, you must have really strong arms or strong arm. (laughs) Right. I'm a big fan (laughs) of soft serve now. Let's just put it that I bet. <laughs> so much easier. What is your home decorating style? My home decorating style is hire someone else. And I actually Ooh. have a really good system for this. Now, I know, you know, what you're thinking is, ooh, fancy, fancy. But I hate it. I hate it so much. I worked full time for forever. I'm not really into my home in terms of, you know, making it look terrific. My husband, on the other hand, loves that stuff. Like I had to learn really? how to fold towels his way when we got married, right? It's that kind of relationship. (laughs) But I found somebody locally here and she does this thing where she uses everything you already have and then adds pieces, you know, and decorates your house, but you're not allowed to be there or to help. 
So it's like a game show. She kicks you out of the house, fascinating. puts her stuff all together, and then you come in. So curtains, knickknacks, most fabrics, you do not choose. She she interviews you and you know gets a real feel. And so over the years, I've done like one room every two years. Because I wish I could do it all at once, but I, I can't. Awesome. And it's been really, really fun. And she's only had two misfires with us. Like she'll, she'll replace it or take it out if you don't like it. It's it's really a talent on her end. I'm I'm always amazed. That is awesome. What's the strangest name someone you have met has had? My husband's name is Slade. S-L-A-D-E. Oh, really? Yes. That's his given name on his birth certificate. And nobody else in his family has a name like that. Where did that come from? You know, unfortunately, his mother passed away before we met. Oh. And she always told him that it was from a romance novel that she read. Okay. And she really liked the name, but I always wanted to kind of talk to her more about that. Well, I was going to ask you if it came from a soap opera, but I didn't want to sound rude. But <laughs> but it's funny. Over the years, we've gotten everything from like Blaze. People can't remember it. Blaze, Blade. Blade. <laughs> yeah. In the olden days, I don't know if people do this anymore. You would have your engagement registry, right? You'd register yeah. for oh, China yeah. and all that stuff. And uh-huh. <laughs> it printed out as slave. <laughs> slave. My, my mother said you should frame that. <laughs> Keep that. Thank you. (laughs) This is an omen. Right. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I think it's a great name. And when you say it, I immediately picture somebody super handsome. So. Yeah. yeah. And he is. (laughs) Yeah. He he carries the name well, huh? He's going to walk in any minute and be like, what are you saying about me? Good things, honey. Only good things. You're adorable. I love it. (laughs) Well, as you know, the point of this podcast is to share our not so fancy moments so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections. And we demonstrate how sharing these stories with each other, both on podcasts and in the real world, can connect us and create joy and kind of vanish shame. Mm. So what do you have for us today? What are some of your not-so-fancy moments? I wrote a whole book, as you mentioned, about my (laughs) non-perfection. I bring it up because I do think that as parents, all of us, we are fooled somehow into thinking that there is a perfection model out there. That if we only try harder, if I only plan all my meals on Sunday, if I only make my kids brush their teeth every night, if I only read to them and only read to them the best books, you know, that they'll have a better chance of success in life, whatever success is supposed to mean. And sure, there's a lot of things as parents that we can do that are better than other choices we could make. But this idea of being perfect is such a myth. And in the diabetes community, where there are so many numbers and there are so many hurdles and obstacles and choices to make, the idea that if I only try harder or do it this way, it'll be perfect and then we'll be okay is really pervasive. And so my whole philosophy has always been it's not perfect but safe and happy. And if I can get my kids safe and happy, I'm doing a great job as a parent. And it is okay to say, I am doing great, right? We all Mm -hmm. have that mom fail, you know, oh, I'm the worst. And it's fun and humorous. And I think it's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful entry into the conversation. But but at the end of the day, when you're sitting alone, it's okay not to be self-deprecating and saying, you know what? I didn't read to my kids once today. And they learned a little bit of self-reliance. Or Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read six books to them because they just wouldn't go to bed. But boy, that's a great memory I'm going to enjoy, believe it or not, when they're 18. You know, I always say that my kids, they cured me of perfectionism because (laughs) I, I did suffer from perfectionistic tendencies all throughout my life. And it created so much anxiety. And 
when I finally decided, listen, sister, there's no way to achieve perfection here. I just, it was like almost like a relief, you know? It is a relief. But I did something recently that I highly recommend. I follow a lot of people on Instagram. I don't know why I follow half these people. But I noticed that I was following people who were having these like spectacularly lit beach vacations and immaculate mm. kitchen shots and, you know, beautiful children who were not just beautiful, but who were glowing. So like, what am I doing following these people who obviously have a professional crew following them around? This is not making me feel good. This does not spark joy. Yes. <laughs> and these people don't care if I follow them or not. So I unfollowed yeah. a bunch of, you know, mom influencers. And it just made me feel better because... I wasn't getting what I needed out of their feed. Now, somebody else might. Someone else might mm -hmm, really sure. have an aspirational lifestyle. They might look at the artwork or the clothing or just it might make them feel good with their morning coffee to see those pictures. But it wasn't working for me. And I, I unfollowed. At first, I kind of felt bad, like, oh, I'm sorry. And then I thought, what do you apologize to your phone for? They don't, these people don't <laughs> care. They don't know, they don't know you. you. When you really start thinking about what goes on behind a lot of those photos and the work that goes in, it's, it's a little bit, at least to me, it's comforting because I don't have a camera crew. I don't have a lighting guy. I certainly don't have a hair and makeup dude. One of the feeds that I recently started following, when I went to look at her blog, I learned this is her and her husband's full-time job. Right. Their house and their blog and their Instagram feed and all that stuff. That's what they both do for a living. And it's a good living for them. They obviously have people, you know, and the other thing she said was, you think my house is always tidy. Oh, no, it's only tidy right where the photo is being taken. And, you know, what's just off the side of the screen is what you can't see. And I thought, oh, thank you. That, that was really a nice reminder. I like knowing it, that. It is funny how we don't we think we know that, but we do need the reminders that they You're are right. making money off of this kind of stuff. And that's OK. I mean, that's hey, that's their business. Aesthetics have always been really important to me. And I love looking at beautiful photographs. Mm -hmm. And so those people that you unfollowed are probably some of the people that kind of bring life to me because I like getting that little shot in the arm of a gorgeous aesthetic or a design idea. The people that I need to unfollow are all of the athletes. <laughs> and I actually don't follow very many, but so we all have our different thing, right? Like that shames us or brings us down when we're, what we're yeah. trying to do with Instagram is to relax and have fun. And if you're following something that's shaming you or bringing you down or just making you feel less than, just click unfollow. You're right. They're not going to care. No one's going to message you. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So one of the stories I wanted to share with you, I think my son was two and a half, not yet three, because he had diabetes, but he was very tiny. We still had an actual diaper bag. He was out of diapers, but we still schlepped that thing everywhere. It's your toolkit, man. He was probably trained to two. He was two and a half. So I was like, we're going to be done with the diaper bag. But then with diabetes, you just call it something else, but you're always schlepping stuff with you. So we were going through an airport. We were coming home from a family vacation in Vermont. And Vermont at the time had one of the most stringent TSAs in the country. It just was very thorough. My husband has a prosthetic knee and has had one since a very young age. So we're already a circus at the airport. You know, we were always taking forever with two little kids and a dude who has to go stand in the box. So we went through and they were, my kids were always used to daddy being behind them. You know, he was going to catch up with us. And then she, the, the, the TSA person said she had to wand my son because he was wearing an insulin pump. And this happens all the time. We were fairly new to pumping at the time, but with diabetes technology, quite often you have to go through a few extra steps at the airport. Now it's a piece of cake, no big deal. We know what we're doing. 
Then it was much newer, and I had a two year, two and a half year old. You know, they get when they, you travel, even if they're not clingy kids, they don't want to let you go. And you're like schlepping two children, like they're hanging on you. And uh. they're so overstimulated already. It's like any little thing is a huge violation. Right, exactly. And this woman said, okay, he's got to stand on his own. And I said, well, can I hold him and you can wand him? Like, I'll even hold him under his arms and like dangle him out. And she's like, nope, he has to stand on his own. There was a circle on the ground. If anybody comes in this circle, I have to wand them too. And I'm thinking, who cares? Go ahead and wand me. Like, why is wand that so me, bad? lady G. But I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. He stood there and she dumped the diaper bag out. And I don't know about you. I mean, you can probably already tell my organizational skills. <laughs> <laughs> There's like Legos and books and, you know, pull-ups, banana peels, and you're like, you just aired all my dirty laundry. <laughs> and there's insulin pens, and there's you know, all, the, all this other stuff and oh, crap from my, my daughter and a change of clothes for everybody. So I'm looking at that going, okay, we can, we can fix that. And my son would not stay in the circle, of course, and he jumped up and grabbed me. So the woman was like, ugh. And I looked over as the TSA lady wanted to murder me. I looked over at my daughter, who was five. She is crying her eyes out. She's already through security. She is devastated. And she says, why can't I get wanded too? Oh, it's like, you have got to be kidding me. This is not happening. And I look, I turn around and my husband's still in the box with that freaking name. And I looked at my daughter and I looked at my son and I looked at the TSA lady and I'm thinking to myself, you know, diabetes already takes so much attention and time that my daughter at five had already figured out that she was going to get the short stick everywhere we went. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't say to her, this is about diabetes, even though it was. Yeah. So the TSA lady looked away for a second and I motioned to my daughter to come over and she ran over and I'm like, oops, she came over too. Guess you have to wand her as well. She's in the circle, darn it. She's in the circle. (laughs) So she got wanded. And you know, it's funny because looking back, I don't, I always tell people when they ask me like, what do I do at the airport with diabetes? I always say TSA is not something to mess around with. You know, if you have questions or problems with the way it works, that's not the place to air it. You know, talk to your congressman, Mm. write a letter. You don't want to pitch a fit at the airport. And I did exactly what I tell people not to do. (laughs) But in my head, I'm thinking, we're all going to TSA jail. Like they're going to put us in one of those little rooms. But thankfully, (laughs) I think she wanted to get rid of us. And she sent us through. My husband at the exact same time came out and could not understand why my son wouldn't let go of me. My daughter's in tears and the diaper bag is all spilled out. Thank God. He just said, hey, let me help. And we packed it up and we moved along. And then I told him the whole story. Can you imagine being behind this family? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? If they got to the airport late, that's their own darn problem. (laughs) If they're trying to get a connection, they're already through, right? (laughs) They're already through security. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm focused on the mom win of when you called your daughter over. Because you dried her tears, you made her feel special, you probably made your son feel more secure because if he, if his sister's right next to him, he's probably more likely to be like, oh, she can do it, I can do it, you know? So I like it. I love it. <laughs> I think it was brilliant. I'm just glad we didn't get taken away in chains. <laughs> oh my gosh, that reminds me. I've only traveled internationally a couple times. One was when I was 11 years old. And I've never told this story. I'm so, I'm kind of, I'm still kind of embarrassed that I did this, but you know, I was 11. So It was 1984, and we got stuck in Brussels for hours and hours and hours, but we never left the plane because of a bomb threat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. The next time I was in an airport, I mentioned something about the bomb threat, and my dad was like, be quiet. You can't (laughs) say that in an airport. And I was like, that 
that's really valuable information that you could have given me before I mentioned the bomb threats. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> I was so embarrassed. I kind of said it like, what's there going to be another bomb threat or something? And we were, we were right oh. in security. And my dad's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you, I, I can't take you anywhere. <laughs> so funny. But I don't think it caused any delays. <laughs> I think they just were like, yeah, she's an idiot. Oh my gosh. Well, I actually want to talk more about diabetes because I don't think I've ever heard a personal story of a child being diagnosed any younger than your son had. That is a really young onset. Tell me about what that was like. You know, it's interesting because our pediatrician said, said the same thing. So I'll, I'll tell you the story briefly. Um, he was diagnosed at 23 months, as you said, and about six weeks prior, we started seeing the signs. I used to do a morning radio. So I was at work at four o'clock in the morning every day Ooh. for 10 years. Yeah, I know. Ugh. And wow. my husband used to text me every day at seven o'clock. I used to have like a six minute break because somebody else was doing the newscast. And he would send me a text and send me funny pictures of the kids or, hey, I have a question mm. or where are the shoes or whatever. But he was great. He was our morning guy at home and I did nights at home because he ran a, and owned a restaurant. So it was a crazy oh, wow. life. Yeah. But he texted me one day and said, you're not going to believe how much pee came out of this kid. And I was like, well, you know, I don't know. I went through the mattress and I said, ha, ha, ha. Like, I'm glad it's your shift. See you later. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yeah. We'll do a quick education here, a little bit of on diabetes. There are four main signs of type 1 diabetes. You have to pee all the time. You're super thirsty all the time. You're losing weight and you're super tired. And it's not like your kid comes in and chugs a glass of water. This is your kid could drink a gallon of water every hour, even overnight, like waking up. You would drink from a rusty Gosh. garden hose. That's how thirsty you are. So we didn't know too much about it, but I knew I was a health reporter. That was my background for television oh, okay. and radio. And I knew just enough to know that excessive urination and lots of thirst probably meant something was up. So it didn't happen again for about three weeks. Hmm. Then it happened again. And then we noticed he was having you know, trouble sleeping. He was actually sleeping at weird times. He was not eating right. I called my pediatrician, called her on a Friday, and she said, I've never seen type 1 diabetes, which used to be called juvenile diabetes, in anyone younger than two, but bring him in and we'll rule it out. And we brought him in on Monday and we ruled it in. Mm. Since then, I have, you know, there's not a ton of research because there's not a lot of cases that tiny, but anecdotally, there are more and more children being diagnosed at younger ages. And in fact, I know people who have children who were diagnosed days after the child was born, what? which is extremely unusual. Oh but, my goodness. Yeah, there are more cases of, of infants. And you can be, a quick quick little soapbox moment, you can, you can be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at any age. In fact, 50% mm -hmm. of cases are in people above the age of 20, which is one of the reasons they changed the name, because it's not juvenile. And, you know, the main difference is it's an autoimmune disease, just like every autoimmune disease. They're not really sure what causes it. Something triggers it. It can be genetic. It doesn't have to be genetic. We don't have anybody else in my family until a few years after my son was diagnosed. Interestingly, a cousin was diagnosed. I want to talk emotionally about what that did to you and your husband and, and your older daughter because I am a very anxious mom. And whenever there's something wrong with my kids, it kind of paralyzes me for a while before I get myself together. And the fact that I'm a family physician, it's almost like that goes completely out the window. I'm, I was always very quick to respond when something was going on with one of my patients. But for some reason, the first thing I want to do with my kids is just be in denial because I just mm. don't know how to even handle the emotions. So talk, talk us through that time. A lot of times when you have a child with a chronic condition or you have any issues in your family, 
I think what happens as parents is our latent personalities or our true personalities kind of get magnified, right? Mm. You mentioned that you can get paralyzed sometimes, even though you're a physician. You know, I have a lot of friends who are nurses who have children with type one and they didn't see the signs or they mm. saw them and dismissed them or they didn't think it was that. And, you know, and they are so hard on themselves. Oh, I should have known. When it's your child, mm. it's totally different. And I think if you're an anxious parent, if you're a parent who needs to control, if you're a worrying parent, I mean, we are all some combination of those things. But I think that having type 1 diabetes in the family kind of brings it out. I am an information seeker and I'm a connector of community. Now, I wouldn't have said this 15 years ago. It's kind of what you learn as you go through these processes. I immediately reached out to the people I had interviewed in the past who had type 1 diabetes because I knew them because of my health reporting. And I said, hey, I remember you. You had a kid. Your kid was fine. Your kid was smiling. I want to talk to you. Interestingly, I didn't find a lot of parenting bloggers that I could connect with, but I found adults with type 1 who were thriving. And I'm like, I want to know your secret. What did your parents do right? You know, and I also asked a billion questions and, you know, tried to do the best job I could, but I was more about the emotion of it and making sure my son was going to be settled. My husband jumped into the dosing and the food and like, that was his thing. And he was the information. Quantitative. Exactly. Let's measure everything. And- exactly. And in diabetes, boy, oh boy, you can measure everything because you have to measure food. That's how you dose insulin is usually you count the carbohydrates in food, you dose insulin, and then you have blood sugar numbers, and then you have A1C numbers, and you, boy, if you want numbers, this is the condition for you. I'm not a numbers person. Isn't it great, though, that you have somebody looking after the emotions and somebody looking after the numbers? Yeah, I think it worked out really well. We were very lucky that way. Oh, yeah. And then, you know, so we have this two-year-old and we have a five-year-old. And we immediately realized that this was going to be a huge time commitment. I mean, we figured it probably added, I know it sounds silly to say that, but I'm, I have a, a point. It, it probably added three hours to our day every day for the first two months. Wow. Which is bonkers when you think about mm-hmm. it. But you have a little kid who has never been you know, stuck by a needle before. And now suddenly the people that he loves mm. are stabbing him. He went from one day, nobody did anything to him. We just let him play. And the next day, we're stabbing him all day long. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit. It is definitely a shot. It's not the same shot that your child gets in the doctor's office with an immunization. It's a thinner, smaller needle. Does it still hurt? You know, I'm not a person with diabetes. I don't take shots. I can't speak to that. My son got used to it in about two weeks, and he didn't care anymore. He would literally hold his leg up, hold his arm up. He didn't care as long as he didn't have to stop playing. But those first two weeks were horrible. Horrible, oh, horrible. And my daughter was, it was kind of like when we brought him home from the hospital. She was super interested, super helpful. And then after a while, it was like, this sucks. I'm sick of this. Mm-hmm. I'm done. Ugh. Take him right? back. To- <laughs> Take him back. Yeah. Put back the diabetes. We don't want that anymore either. And so we decided that we would acknowledge that diabetes was taking a lot of time, but we wouldn't make her learn. Even as she got older, and she laughs about it now, you know, we would say, hey, you can watch your brother. And he'd be like, yeah, don't kill me. You don't even know how to do anything. You know, because if there, was, if there was an emergency or something, right, it was like, just call us. And we taught her the basics. And I think, did we do that right? I don't know if we did it right, but that's what we did. I love it. Yeah, it's hard. You're not your brother's keeper. And I have two daughters. They're 22 months apart. That is something that I have actually tried really hard to impress upon them. We trust each other and we rely on each other as a family, but it is not your job to parent or caretake your sibling you know, we yeah. have equal positions in this family. We didn't know, but when Benny went to kindergarten, the bus driver asked my daughter to sit up front with him. 
because he was, the bus driver was nervous about diabetes. We were in total education mode at that point. So we were telling everybody, you know, he's, he's allowed to eat and drink on the bus and he's allowed to do this and da, da, da. So the bus driver got nervous and made, and, and they are three years apart in age, but four years apart in school. So she's a fourth grader, like at the back of the bus having to sit. So finally, after two weeks, she told us and we said, oh, you don't have to do that. You know, we went and spoke to the bus driver. But what we said to them was, you guys have to look out for each other because you're siblings, not because your brother has diabetes. You have to look out for each other, period. And if that means making sure he can have a juice box, great. If that means, you know, she feels bad and has no one to sit with and you sit with her or whatever it is, Mm -hmm, it's not about mm -hmm. diabetes. It's about being a sibling. Even though there's this innate hierarchy when they're young because the age gap seems big, I think the faster they can get on even footing with each other, the better for their relationship because it's the longest relationship you're ever going to have in your life, most likely. And it's, it, I think it's important for it to be relational instead of positional. So anyway, I like how you dealt with it. But I, what, do I, what do I know? What do any of us really know, you know? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Tell me about your first TV job. My first TV job was in Utica, New York. So I was fresh out of college. I'm from outside of New York City. I went to school at Syracuse University. So Utica is a, if you're not familiar, it's a smaller city to the east of Syracuse in central New York. So basically it means okay. it's cold and snowy. <laughs> and, um, it's a, and it was a very small TV market. It still is, but it was a great place for my first job. And I was hired to be just a general assignment reporter for $12,000 a year. Oh, and wow. This wasn't that long ago. <laughs> I mean, it was. It was a lifetime ago, but isn't that crazy? Yeah, um, but wow. I, I loved every minute of it. I was only in that job for six months. It was a very strange TV market in that there were only two TV stations that did news. And the, the competitors were across the street from each other. There was this big, giant hill you had to get up in the middle of winter all the time. And then the TV stations were next to each other. I'm sure this had huh. something to do with broadcasting off a high space in the olden days oh, and sure. being on a hill. But I got tired away. I was very fortunate. After six months, the other station, which like more than doubled my salary and made me an Ooh. anchor. And actually, that's where I met my husband. Aww. So I started working at the first station in January. And by November of that year, I was in my second job. I had a more prominent role. We used to do all of these different kinds of set up live shots. I was inside a mall. This must have been on Black Friday then. So it was the day after Thanksgiving if the malls were open. And I was doing a whole spiel about, you know, hey, let's go to Stacy in the mall and see what's going on. Well, thanks, John. I'm here at the Sangertown Square Mall where we're talking about, you know, whatever, whatever. And my whole family was there because they thought it was hysterical and fun that I was on TV, which had been my dream since I was in middle school. Aww. So they came to support <laughs> me. And they were in hysterics and I couldn't figure out why. And it turned out that there was a dancing taco behind me the entire time. <laughs> You're trying to be all sophisticated and serious. <laughs> a serious news lady live shot. Oh my goodness. That was oh, the best. Brother. It was so embarrassing. Well, it's time to talk about what you've been loving lately that you think the listeners might love too. Like everyone else, I spent much of this year binging television. There's an Amazon Prime show called Bosch, B-O-S-C-H, I think is about a detective, kind of like the realer Law and Order. So if you like that, there's six seasons of that, which I loved. But my guilty pleasure has been, we got Disney Plus very late in the game. You know, everybody got it for Hamilton this summer (laughs) and for The Mandalorian earlier. And we were were a big Marvel family. So we thought we'd be watching all these Marvel movies on Disney Plus. But what I have found is And I think you have to be a certain age. I think, Joanne, you're a little younger than me, but you might appreciate this too. They have a lot of the old 
wonderful world of Disney specials that used to come on, remember, Sunday night. Oh, and there yeah. are a few from the 70s that feature the Mouseketeers at Disney World or <gasps> Walk with Walt through the new land of, you know, whatever it is. And they show you, it's not just what Disney World looked like at the time. You get to experience the amazing fashion trends. There are a few of them that have the original commercials. Oh my so gosh, how funny. So if you have Disney Plus, you can go down that rabbit hole. If you don't, the other thing we found, because for my podcast, I do an annual game show edition. Oh, and, how fun. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, it is a lot of fun, but it's a lot of work. And this year, with all the Zoom calls, I said, let's do Hollywood Squares. Oh, cute. <laughs> but I had to go back and watch Hollywood Squares, and those are all on YouTube. So if you also want to experience the fa- – you don't have Disney Plus, but you want to see the lovely fashions and the commercials of the <laughs> 70s, you can watch Hollywood Squares. I love it. Okay. I'm going to link to all of that stuff in the show notes, That is, and I'm going to have to take a look at myself. <laughs> i got to tell still, you. Yeah, we're – we thought we so were styling fine. in the 70s. Oh, my God. The bell bottoms, the rainbow oh, suspenders, the haircuts. The, and But what I can't re- believe came back was the really high-waisted pants. When they first came back, I was like, oh, those never looked good on me. But now I'm like, thank God for the high-waisted pants because they cover up the muffin top. <laughs> Give me all the high-waist pants. I will wear yes. pants. Up. They me, it's like Spanx. They could be right under my bra. Yes. That would exactly. be perfect. <laughs> <laughs> you put your shirt down, nobody will know. Oh my gosh. Well, tell the listeners where they can find you, all your places. Yeah. The best the best way to find me is just uh, to start at diabetes-connections.com. That has my blog and the podcast and links to my book. I'm on social media as Stacey Sims everywhere, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm not on Pinterest. I'm not on TikTok. So not there. Awesome. All right. Well, Stacey, it has been so much fun talking to you today. Thank you so much for being with me. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast this week. Wasn't Stacy great? I have serious audio voice envy. Her audio voice is amazing. And I loved her stories. I love her outlook on parenting. And I think she's doing such a wonderful thing for the type 1 diabetes community. Make sure to check out the show notes for today's episode at fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 65 to get all the links we discussed today. Next week on the show, I have Caroline Saunders. You guys, she made me laugh so hard. She has so many hilarious stories. I don't even know how I'm going to fit our interview into a half an hour. It might have to end up being two interviews, but we'll start with (laughs) the first one next Monday. And if you've been waiting for the bonus episode about Mary Turner Thompson, I meant to get that out last Thursday or Friday. I was involved in a ladies retreat over the weekend that took a little more time than I expected, but it was awesome. And I will definitely have Mary's bonus episode to you sometime this week, midweek. So you have that to look forward to. Make sure you subscribe to the show so that new episodes pop into your feed each week. If you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join our Fancy Free Facebook group. It's so much fun. It's our private little slice of the internet. The question of the week this week, as I prepare for interviewees for season four, is who is the funniest person you know? All right. Have a great week. And remember, no one is as fancy as they look.